The Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes and their families since 9-11. Hero first responders and service members who serve our communities and our country. Those who die in the line of duty or are catastrophically injured. Veterans who fought for our nation's freedom only to return home, fall on tough times, and become homeless. Heroes like Buffalo, New York firefighter Jason Arno and his family. Arno was killed while protecting his community, battling a warehouse fire. He left behind his wife and a young daughter. In their darkest hour, Tunnel to Towers provided Arno's wife and daughter with a mortgage-free home. The foundation lifted a financial burden, enabling them to stay in the home where they made memories with their hero. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. Support the families of America's greatest heroes, the families of fallen first responders like Jason Arno, plus Gold Star families with young children, catastrophically injured service members, and homeless veterans. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. There are new questions circulating about the timeline of law enforcement response to the Uvalde, Texas school shooting where 19 children and two teachers were killed. New harrowing videos emerged on social media showing angry, desperate parents outside the school pleading with police to go inside. It's time for Home Talk. Sexton. It was a horrifying scene, as you could see for yourself there. A difficult video to watch, to be sure. And now we're hearing from law enforcement about just how this awful scenario unfolded. It was a very uh, difficult situation on the ground for law enforcement when those videos were taken and when officers were setting up a cordon around the building. 
Texas Rangers are still investigating the timeline of law enforcement uh, events, and so there's more detail that's, that will be coming out in the days ahead. But here's what we know. The shooter in this case was not, in fact, confronted by anybody before he walked into the school. There had initially been reports that a school safety officer, this is widely reported in the media, had confronted the shooter, which didn't seem to add up because there was no exchange of gunfire initially between law enforcement and the shooter when he made his way into the building. Turns out that that, that reporting was inaccurate. Earlier today, Texas law enforcement authorities held the press conference and said the shooter was not confronted by anybody. This is a key detail, watch. He walked in unrestructed initially. So from the grandmother's house to the bar ditch to the school, into the school, he was not confronted by anybody. To clear the record on that, four minutes later, law enforcement are coming in to solve this problem. So the shooter was able to get into the building without anyone confronting him on his way. There were apparently no security locks or other, uh, other physical barriers to entry for the shooter. He was able to get right into the building, get right into the classroom where he engaged in his mass murders. Um, and he, here, there, there is the shooter, of course, deceased, killed by uh, Bortak, which is a Border Patrol, effect, effectively Border Patrol SWAT team. Here's what everyone needs to know. How is it possible? How is it tactically sound? How is it, how is it part of the procedure for law enforcement to be on the scene of a mass shooting of children four minutes into the shooting, and then for it to take over an hour while there's gunfire happening from inside this building. He was shooting at law enforcement officers at various points in this standoff. Took them over an hour while they had 100 officers, over 100 officers gathered on the scene, over an hour for anyone to go in there and eliminate the threat to kill this evil mass murderer. People are asking questions about this because there are parents on the outside of the cordon, the law enforcement cordon, who are begging police, these are armed law enforcement officers, to go do something about the shooter who was barricaded inside one of these classrooms and engaged in the murder of defenseless small children. It took over an hour? There was discussion during that press conference as well uh, earlier today of some kind of hostage negotiation effort, which doesn't seem to make any sense considering that this was a mass murder spree. This individual had not, to our, to our knowledge at this point, taken any hostages. He did not have a list of demands. So what were they waiting for? This is what people are asking. If we're going to have conversations about how to stop these kinds of atrocities from happening again in the future, we have to be very honest about what went wrong here and what actually occurred from a law enforcement perspective, uh, because it seems right now to many, many observers, including former SWAT team and special operations and other elements of the law enforcement and military community that I've spoken to say, this response time of over an hour to eliminate the threat is far too long, given the concentration of law enforcement on the scene against a lone gunman. Now, this also is something that the FBI is uh, looking at, and there'll be a lot of law enforcement after-action assessment of what went on here. Here's the FBI director testifying on this shooting and saying that Uvalde is the latest example of 
the continued threat from lone wolf actors. Watch. The threat of lone actors who look to attack regular, everyday people going about their regular, everyday lives. And in fact, it's that threat that we continue to be most concerned about here in the homeland. This is a continuing challenge we have, and there are real discussions that are necessary about what causes these individuals to snap in this way. This wasn't something that we've had all throughout history. This does seem to have become a more uh, common, uh, more common problem for our society over the last 30 or so years. And is mental health and the way we deal with mental health a major component of how we could try to limit these incidents going forward? We may not be able to stop them all, but to be able to bring down the numbers to make it a less uh, common scenario, that would certainly be a worthy goal. Wall Street Journal editorial board wrote this uh, about this issue of how to look at this. A teenager, that a teenager could look at a nine-year-old, aim a gun and pull the trigger, signals some larger social and cultural breakdown. It also suggests that society may have to adapt by rethinking our hands-off attitudes to antisocial behavior and mental illness. Essentially, there may have to be a more proactive societal and perhaps, yes, even governmental and law enforcement component of dealing with severe and dangerous mental illness. That's certainly a part of the discussion right now. But then you also have the mother of the shooter here saying that her son wasn't a violent person in advance of this. She, she, this was a quote from uh, the last 48 hours. My son wasn't a violent person. I'm surprised by what he did. I had a good relationship with him. He kept to himself. He didn't have many friends. Um, so was it possible to foresee in advance that this individual was a true danger to society? Or is that an impossibility to be able to identify this? We need to bring in real, real in-depth research about this, mental health professionals who have dealt with these kinds of situations to establish some protocols. This is a complex problem set. There's no easy solution to preventing these things from happening going forward. That's the honest truth. But for Democrats like Chuck Schumer, unfortunately, the most important thing to them when they're speaking out against this is that they are able to shout at their political enemies and make it seem like we don't all believe that mass shootings like this are horrific and atrocious. A cheap shot from Chuck Schumer here at the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, who's of course a Republican. Watch. After Beto O'Rourke confronted Texas Governor Abbott's press conference, the MAGA governor gave some empty platitudes about healing and hope. He asked people to put their agendas aside and think about someone other than themselves. My God, how dare he? What an absolute fraud the governor of Texas is. And Chuck Schumer, I would say, is a fraud, but he's such a disgrace that we expect him to be a fraud. And that is the reality we are facing. Let's talk about protecting your home for a minute. You know that I'm skeptical by nature, so when I first heard about home title theft and the idea that thieves can literally steal your home, I was like, really? Can some cyber criminal really forge my name off the title of my home and take over as the new owner? Turns out, yeah, he can. It's not as rare as you'd think. According to the FBI, this crime is growing faster than credit card fraud, and you're not covered by homeowner insurance or common identity theft programs. 
Home Title Lock earned my trust. Home Title Lock puts a virtual barrier around your home's title. The instant they detect anyone tampering with their home's title, they mobilize to help shut it down. So here's what I urge you to do. Number one, go to HomeTitleLock.com and read the testimonials from FBI agents and government officials. And number two, register your home address to see if you're already a victim and don't even know it. When you protect your home, tell them Buck Sexton sent you to get my listener discount. HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Support for my podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with its exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code BUCK at manscaped.com. The Performance Package 4.0 includes a ton of men's grooming products like the Lawn Mower 4.0 Trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a bunch of other great men's hygiene products you never knew you needed, plus a travel bag to hold it all. The Lawn Mower Trimmer is the best. It's got a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents, and it's waterproof so no more messes on the bathroom floor. You'll also get the waterproof Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer with proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in all those delicate areas. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BUCK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BUCK to unlock your confidence and always use the right tools with Manscaped. When it comes to the gas prices... Uh, we're going through an incredible transition that is taking place that, God willing, when it's over, we'll be stronger and the world will be stronger and less reliant on fossil fuels when this is over. What an incredible transition it's been, everybody. This morning, the cost of gas is still a record high. It's pain at the pump for the American people as President Biden claims the U.S. is going through a transition as we move toward greener options, of course. Good me now, the reaction, the host of I'm Right with Jesse Kelly here on The First TV and nationally syndicated radio host, Mr. Jesse Kelly. Hello, sir. Well, nationally syndicated, thanks in no small part to a friend of mine by the name of Buck. Maybe you know him, but we're not going into that right now. That's like when it comes to the Joe Biden stuff, I've actually I'm a little bit nervous about it. And this is what I mean by nervous about it. I'm nervous about how cold they are when they're selling how bad everything is now. Because this happens whether it's Jen Psaki or Jean-Pierre or Joe Biden or some random talking head on the news. They're always presented with something black and white of, hey, normal Americans are getting slaughtered by this. What do you have to say? And normally a politician, no matter their party, would pretend to care. You know what I mean? But pretend like some empathy there. But now there's none of that. They can't hold, they can't help themselves. It's either completely dismissive or they blow it off or they're flat out celebrating it. It's an exciting transition. And the reason it makes me nervous is, are these people in an even better, more secure position of power than we think they are? Because the way they speak, they speak like people who are no longer interested in having the population on their side. And this is not like a one-off. It's not a random Joe Biden bad moment. This is a consistent theme for the now almost two years of his presidency as they talk like they don't give an F. So just on the gas prices issue for a second here, the national average today was $4.59. We go as four fifty-two. Mm-hmm. month ago, four twelve. year ago, $3. So we all understand that trajectory. And, and what's 
What's fascinating, Jesse, is to watch the way that the Democrat talking points on this shifts depending on the week, where it was the Putin price hike. No, of course it's not, because the price of gas was going up well before Putin even invaded Ukraine. Uh, to they, on the one hand, say that we're gonna, the world is going to end unless we get rid of CO2 and, and we transition to green energy. But on the other hand, they, they get so indignant when we say, well, hold on a second. You're, you guys are hostile to fossil fuel exploration, to domestic oil production. They say, no, no we're not. How can that be? They tell us that it's going to end the world unless we cut back on it. So it doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense. Well, it makes perfect sense when people understand Western governments have declared war on their own people. It's the most dangerous thing happening in the world today. It's been a slow build for the last probably 10, 20 years. But this, the truth is, Buck, this goes beyond America. The governments of the West, including America, have decided that not that China's the problem, right? Or not that North Korea provocation, or even really Russia, they're not necessarily concerned about those things. When they have their gigantic meetings, the Biden administration or the World Economic Forum or whatever it may be, they're not sitting down trying to solve the problem of gas prices. They're sitting down trying to solve the problem of you. There is something in the way. There is something in the way that is stopping the world from being this wonderful place that is ruled by these kings and queens. And that something is you, Buck, you and your viewers. And that's really how they talk. There's these dirty people with their freedoms and, and things like that. They, they talk about us as if we are this low life scum. And part of being this low life scum is we're the scum that's destroying the planet with climate change. So of course, low life scum like you and like me, we deserve to pay these gas prices. I saw a picture online, $7 a gallon in LA, one gas station, $7 a gallon. And you look at that and I look at that and you think, well, how are working, working people supposed to live? I mean, normal people can't just that, well, congratulations, you got a hundred extra dollars in costs this week. Normal people can't withstand that. But the Biden administration and the governments of the West look at that and they think, Nice, that's exactly what we need. And, and it's, it's hard for people to accept that you're ruled by sociopathic monsters, but I am a sociopathic monster and I'm telling you that's what these people are. We are ruled by people who don't have even that much care about you. You brought up Putin price hike, sorry to filibuster here, Buck. You brought no, up go the for Putin it, price hike. I, I've been mortified by that, more mortified than other people by the Putin price hike thing because the Putin price hike what happened was they have these prices that are crushing normal people. I mean, families are having to make horrible, life-changing decisions because of these prices. And instead of like a Biden administration, all hands on deck meeting, where we're gonna try to get these prices down, instead they had a big meeting on who they could blame for it. That's, that's stunning. They don't care, it's not that they don't care about you. That would actually be preferred. They hate your guts. They're trying to make it worse. This, this notion, by the way, of, of the ascot wearing, yacht-riding, Davos-loving, globalist elite that run the Democrat Party and unfortunately run a lot of the, uh, the supposed democracies all over the world, it's not a caricature that isn't deeply rooted in reality. <laughs> like, for example, John Kerry, who has a magnificent habit for him of only marrying very rich ladies who got money from their, <laughs> their previous husbands. John Kerry's been great at that, by the way. He's done it, you know, two in a row. He's amazing. Here he is in Davos, of all places, while, as you say, working people are looking at their gas and also food, by the way, and rent and all of the prices they're dealing with, and their savings being depleted every month by sitting in a bank account if they have any savings. 
And Kerry's like, now's the time for a global energy transformation. Watch. We stand on a precipice. Um, and if you pull back from the precipice and do the things we need to do, we have an incredible future ahead of us with the capacity to open up a brand new, unbelievable uh, economy globally in the world's greatest transformation ever as we move to a new energy economy, as we get pollution out of the air, which is what is causing the climate crisis. CO2 is not a pollutant. I know they pretend, but plants need it to survive, and there's a whole lot of need for plants all over the world. This guy, I mean, he honestly, he sounds like, a, to your point about a sociopath, people are really hurting right now. There's a huge global food shortage that you and I know is coming, by the way. A global food shortage is going to be really bad. We have a baby formula shortage in America. And John Kerry's like, oh, great time. Great time to push the global energy revolution toward the Green New Deal. I think it's important for people to understand, Buck, that if John Kerry was able to have whatever he wanted, if we were just able to hand the keys over to John Kerry, that that man and that video you just played would kill more people than Stalin, Mao, and Hitler combined. That's how anti-human this environmentalist ideology is, because as you just pointed out, when you declare CO2 to be a pollutant, well, uh, that's what you're breathing out right now. They think you're the pollutant. There's that saying, we've all seen it, you're the carbon they want to reduce. These people, and look, a thousand of these guys have been caught on camera and otherwise discussing how we need to reduce the Earth's population, oftentimes by billions. I believe one of the first climate change guys said the ideal population is 3.8 billion. Now, Buck, I went to community college, but carry the one that, that means we've got a few billion people to kill on the way to getting there. These people, because they're anti-human communist monsters, they do think people deserve to die because they're destroying the planet. And what's wild about that is if we were to hand those keys to John Kerry and he was to kill all those people, he would go to sleep every night with his big oafish head and his stupid chin and he would lay it down on his pillow and he would go to bed thinking he was the good guy every single night as people died. He Sorry would. to interrupt you there, but I am I'm allergic to commies, as you know. Um, and, and with that in mind, I just want to know, do you think, I mean, are you, you know, you, you do a national show, radio show, I do a national radio show. I'm hearing from people, we've actually even had some people reach out who are Democrats, who are, are fully red-pilled now to the GOP. They are all in, they're like the COVID lockdowns, inflation, the economy. Are we heading in the right direction here for a Democrat party that is at least wounded, if not entirely uh, crushed going into the presidential election after that? I think we're heading in the right direction for different reasons. I, yeah, we're going to have a GOP wave in the House and the Senate, and all those things are going to feel really good. But the truth is, mostly it's angry parents who are taking back school boards across the country. That's what has me inspired. And these corporations finally backing off, not diving into politics, thanks in no small part to Heavy D and the legislature in Florida. Corporations are sitting down and shutting their mouths. That's a good cultural direction. It's been a very poisonous thing for our culture to sit down and turn on the game on Sunday and have to find out why your 10-year-old son should chop his penis off, that we're moving away from that kind of insanity is a good thing and something we should all feel happy about. Moving in the right direction there. Jesse, thanks for being with us. See you, boss. Uh, first, I want to talk to you about protecting your online data. A lot of companies promise your privacy is guaranteed, but we know that's not true. That's why you need a new privacy and cybersecurity application tool called Secure. It's spelled S-E-K-U-R. Secure is using proprietary encryption and offering secure instant messaging and email. 
with secure all of your communications based on servers and data centers hosted in Switzerland without using any of the big tech platforms. Privacy is a big issue now. Without real security, people can read your emails, your messages, even your bank information. Secure will never mine your data, never ask for your phone number. You can send emails to your doctor, banker, lawyer, or anyone else with total confidence you're not being spied on. Secure is your solution to stop the constant theft of your digital identity. Costs only $5 for the messenger, only $10 for the messenger and email combination package. Go to secure.com and take back your privacy today. That's S-E-K-U-R.com and use promo code BUCK for 25% off. We'll be right back with more Hold the Line. The manhunt for Andrew Abdullah is over. Less than three hours after the NYPD released his photograph to the public, Mr. Abdullah knew he had nowhere left to run. Your NYPD investigators identified him as the killer of Daniel Enriquez. Andrew Abdullah has been arrested in the killing of 48-year-old Daniel Enriquez on a New York City subway this past weekend. Shootings believed to be completely unprovoked and police are baffled as to what the possible motive could be. The rise in city crime has Mayor Eric Adams once again in hot water trying to figure out a solution to make the city safe again. Abdullah has a lengthy criminal background and according to the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, it was just five years ago in 2017 that Abdullah was arrested along with a dozen other known members of the two Harlem-based gangs in an 80, of two Harlem-based gangs rather, in an 83-count indictment. The group was responsible for eight shooting victims as well as slashings, gang assault, gunpoint robberies, and various weapons-related offenses. Joining me now to discuss, New York City Council Member Joe Borelli. Joe, appreciate you being with us. Thank you, Buck. So, Joe, what do we need to know about how is, it, how is it possible that someone like this is even on the streets to commit such an act, given his lengthy criminal record? Well, I think that's the question that is really the only one that should be the one at the <laughs> forefront of anyone. Um, you know, we probably can't ever totally prevent random shootings. I mean, that's that's a reality that most people don't want to think about. But we can't prevent. There's no police force that can get in the mind of others uh, and predict when something like this happens. But the thing that does limit risk is when we take people who we know to have used guns in the past, we know have a propensity to use guns because they've been arrested multiple times, and we keep those people from being on our streets. That's what didn't happen here with this perp. This is someone, as you pointed out, in 2017 was indicted and arrested in a major case. This means that the NYPD, along with probably federal law enforcement partners, spent countless man hours, probably over a year uh, unraveling a network, uh, a gang network uh, in Harlem to make this arrest. And all of that was just peed away, Buck, uh, to use a, a colloquialism, uh, you just, just kind of peed away when you let people like this off the hook. That is the fundamental that New Yorkers have to confront. We like to think we have the strongest gun laws in the country. Uh, that's something that Democrats in this state constantly tout. But gun laws that aren't enforced with mandatory minimums, when you have people carrying illegal firearms, people who have been involved in shootings before, people on probation from those shootings, then what is the point of having gun laws in the first place? Mayor Eric Adams, uh, to me, uh, doesn't seem like he's doing a good job at all as a resident of the city. I know you're a resident of the city as well, Joe. And uh, here he is trying to tell everybody that, you know, they're doing their job despite the rise in crime that continues even while he's in office. I mean, it's been going up even since he became the new mayor. Watch this one. We lost a fellow New Yorker, one of the good guys. 
We are doing our job, I say over and over again. The NYPD with their partners have removed over 2,900 illegal guns off our streets. As soon as we place them on, more return with bad guys who feel comfortable enough, even after we arrest them, that they can come back out and wreak havoc on our city. I, I, I ask you this, Joe, is the mayor a moron? Because he t speaks always about taking guns off the streets. The problem is criminals. Anyone who knows criminal justice, anyone who knows the history of New York City for the last 30 years understands the problem is people like this guy Abdullah being on the street. It's not taking guns off the streets. And as he even says, there's always going to be a flood of illegal guns from out of the state into the state. Well, that, that's the big fallacy, right? I mean, when you talk about taking guns off the street, great, it's a number. But look at the 2021, the year-end statistics. Uh, the NYPD confiscated and made arrests in 4,500 uh, gun cars. Over 2,000 of those cases are still open, uh, meaning they're still pending trial, they're still being delayed, uh, they're still being worked through the court system. All the while, those 2,500 arrestees are still out on the streets. Of these trial, of these cases, by the way, in 2021, guess how many cases actually went to trial and resulted in a conviction? I'll give you one guess, Buck. How, how many do you think? Of the 2,000? Mm-hmm. 50%? One. One case went to trial and resulted in a conviction. Wait, so wait, hold, hold, hold on a second. Hold on a second, Joe. I got, I got to make sure I got this right because I'm going to be blasting this out on the airwaves all across the country. They had 2,000 gun arrests in New York City and one case was actually prosecuted? They got 4,500 guns. Uh, about a thousand or so people pled to misdemeanor charges, meaning you, you're charged with a mandatory felony. They pleaded down to a an attempted possession of a firearm. How one could attempt to possess a firearm but not possess it is beyond me. But only one person uh, basically was forced into a trial. They wouldn't bargain with the guy. And only one case went to the trial and resulted in a conviction. Uh, there were two other trials, to my knowledge, that the person was acquitted. And that's, that's the price of our justice system. Sometimes people are innocent. Um, but one trial, uh, one case went to trial and a person is in jail. I mean, I remember, didn't the New York Giants star Plexigo Burris, didn't he do three or four years in, in, in prison because he carried a gun illegally and actually had an accidental, accidental discharge, but he only hurt himself in the process? Didn't they give him multiple years? So I just, I, I thought New York City was, you know, oh, mandatory minimums for anybody who carries a loaded firearm illegally. You're telling me that thousands of people just pleaded out? Correct, correct. Uh, probably, I think the number is 1,500 or so uh, out of that 14, uh, 4,500 number. Uh, I actually wrote an op-ed in the New York Post. Uh, the viewers could just log on to newyorkpost.com and search my name, and they'll, they'll see it pop right up. And we went through the numbers direct from the NYPD, uh, and this is the brutal reality. Uh, and then you have the, 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 how to basically combat this from a cop's perspective. Right, you're asking a cop to apprehend someone who has a firearm that could result in them getting killed. We're asking people to do something very dangerous. And when you see no consequences happen to the perp at the end of the day, uh, I don't blame police for being a little bit more hesitant maybe in 2022 than they were in 2021 or beyond. I mean, it, what is it all worth? I wanted you to address this. This is uh, one more thing here. Eric Adams this morning talking to New Yorkers about gun violence. Watch this one. These crime waves are attached to a small number of New Yorkers. 
that we can't continue to protect and say our city is a safe haven for shooters and dangerous people. It must be a safe haven for innocent New Yorkers. We've increased patrols on the neighborhoods that was experiencing the most violence. More cops in the subway, 24 hours a day. The focused deployment of violence interrupters, a partner in our pursuit to fight violence. Increasing visualization and inspections in our subway system. We're seeing the product that we're putting out, producing the result that we expect. Is he doing everything that you think he should do? to actually bring down the crime situation here in New York, the violent crime situation? No, no, but he is partially right. Uh, the gun crimes in this city are the, are, are the responsibility, really the, the result, rather, of a fraction of a percent of people in the highest crime precincts. And, and if you go to those precincts, Buck, you, you know the NYPD better than anyone. If you go to those pre precincts, you can speak to the intel officers, they can tell you who the 20 people in their precinct are that are carrying guns or likely to be carrying guns. You can ask the grandmothers in any housing project, who are the bad guys that you don't want your grandkid to hang out with? And I wish the mayor would solely focus on making life a misery for those 20 or 25 people in every precinct and making it impossible to go about their business as a gang member who runs some corner in some corner of the Bronx or the Queens or wherever. If he did that, that would be doing all he could. That would mean that, that the entire burden falls on the state criminal justice system and state laws. But we should be focusing entirely on those people. Joe Borelli, good to see you, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks, Buck. After calling for tougher gun control laws in the wake of the Texas school shooting, President Biden talked about the Constitution yesterday. Watch this. Second Amendment is not absolute. When it was passed, you couldn't own a you couldn't own a cannon. You couldn't own certain kinds of weapons. It's just always been limitations. You actually could own a cannon, but anyway. Joining me here with Reaction is former NYPD officer and conservative commentator John Cardillo. John, Biden is not smart really as a politician. He's certainly not smart as a constitutional scholar or lawyer. And the immediate fallback to talking points about gun control that we've been hearing for decades and that every time they get their way, it doesn't actually do anything it's just disheartening at some level. This this is really, this is the best we've got. This is the president. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's flat out lying. And, and his handlers, I say his handlers, because in my opinion, he's cognitively shot. And the guy's an incapacitated vegetable. He, he, historically speaking, the ignorance coming from the president of the United States is in itself disqualifying, right? Historically speaking, most cannons used in the Revolutionary War were either previously or currently at the time privately owned. People brought them into service, whether they were wealthy landowners or business owners who used them for protection. So, but we, we can get into the weeds all day about Biden's misstatements, or as we'll call them, flat out lies. I think it's tragic that they used the deaths of 19 innocent babies. These were elementary school age children. And as, as a former cop, I had responded to murdered children, 25, 27 28 years later, Buck, the memory is as vivid as it was day one. I spoke to troopers who responded, Connecticut troopers who responded to the Sandy Hook. They'll never get that imagery out of their heads. So the way the Democrats have been using this 
for political points, cheap political points, Obama invoking George Floyd, a fentanyl addict who was passing counterfeit bills and equating them to murdered babies and their heroic teachers who threw their bodies between the kids and the gunmen. It's, it's really disgraceful. Don't even get started on Beto O'Rourke. Disgraceful on the part of Democrats. Well, here, for example, is Chuck Schumer, Senate Majority Leader, for now, slamming Governor Abbott and everybody who supports Trump and MAGA Republicans because, you know, you have to do gun control. Watch. And these families, my colleagues, don't want thoughts and prayers. They want their elected leaders to respond to their suffering. They want results. Yet, the MAGA Republicans don't want to get to results. They're ossified in their opposition to any action on gun safety. Governor Abbott, will you ask your MAGA buddies and your NRA pals to put aside their agendas and think of someone other than themselves? Will you ask the gun manufacturing reps who were swarm over the NRA convention to put aside their agendas and think about someone other than themselves? Of course not. No amount of bloodshed seems to be enough for MAGA Republicans. I mean, there's so much there that's just, just enraging, honestly. Yes, Republicans don't care about dead children, Chuck Schumer. I mean, this is essentially what he's saying. It's outrageous. Um, but beyond that, they, there's always, John, this effort to, you're very familiar with the, with the gun industry, the firearms industry, to make it seem like yeah. there's some shadowy cabal of NRA and lobbyists that stop. The problem with the gun legislation is actually there are tens of millions of gun owners who don't want it and know that it won't help. Look, I mean, you know, it, it's we have to be factual here, Buck, and it pains me to uh, think about 19 grieving families. We found out the husband of one of the teachers who took bullets for the kids and died, died of a heart attack today, presumably from the stress from a broken heart. Maybe. This is a tragedy all around, but you do not impose draconian, anti-constitutional regulation or legislation on 330 million Americans because one bad guy did something bad. And I'll take it a step further. I put a tweet out the other day. Chuck Schumer, I'm gonna say it here, is a disgusting, vile, disingenuous rodent. And here's why. If we were to put, there are 131,000 K through 12 schools in the United States. If the federal government, if Congress, appropriated a quarter million dollars to every school, for either armed police, single access points, fortified physical plants, what have you. If they appropriated a quarter million bucks to every school, that would be $32.75 billion to protect America's youngest school children. They won't do it. They won't even have the debate. Democrats refuse to have the debate because Randy Weingarten and the teachers union won't let them have the debate. Yet they gave $40 billion to Zelensky in Ukraine, who to me is another oligarch mob, oligarch mob boss. It's the Bloods and the Crips, Zelensky versus Putin. They'll give him 40 billion in two days, but they won't give seven and a half billion less to fortify and safeguard 131,000 K through 12 schools in the US. Chuck Schumer is a disingenuous, disgraceful liar. John, I do also want to ask you about, as somebody who carried a badge and a, and a gun for, for years in the NYPD, the law enforcement response here um, at the shooting specifically, we heard now we've got a pretty good sense of the timeline. They had cops on the scene within four minutes. 
the the cops knew that this was an active shooter situation. There was a lot of uh, a lot of rifle fire from the the shooter, and then nobody went in for a second breach after a first attempt that was uh, pushed back essentially by the shooter. Yeah. Nobody went back in for an hour, and there were parents who were around the cordon, uh, the police cordon, begging law enforcement to go in and do something. I think it's really hard for people to hear, John, that for an hour, this shoot, he was firing rounds, too. He'd already murdered a lot of, a lot of kids, and he yep. was firing off rounds during the standoff period. A hundred officers? Nobody goes in there until the BORTAC team from Border Patrol comes in? What do you think of this? So much to unpack here, Buck. I'm glad you brought that up. And, and you and I, I mean, we talk a lot offline, right? We're shooters. We're collectors. We enjoy this. I, uh, I'll be on radio with our good mutual friend, Jesse Kelly, later. He and I spoke earlier. So I'll tell you what I told him. So many conflicting reports, but even if we act on, even if right now here we analyze the timeline most favorable to local law enforcement, it appears with all the evidence we have right now that there was a 13 minute, 13 minute gap between the bad guy, I want to say his name, going into that classroom, beginning to slaughter kids like fish in a barrel and police entering behind Vortec, important to note, Buck, for off duty BORTAC operators, Border Patrol tactical team, off duty. So they got the alert on their cell phones. They raced to the scene off duty. On duty cops waiting. Best case for the cops. If I'm going to be as generous as humanly possible, 13 minutes might as well have been the 13 hours at Benghazi. 13 minutes is an eternity. It was disgraceful. And it tells me that this agency, local and county, doesn't train, doesn't train on active shooter, doesn't train under high stress. Thank God the off-duty board tech guys were there and not deployed 60, 70 miles away because God knows how many more innocents would have been killed. This is a black eye from the evidence we have in front of us on local and county law enforcement. Yeah, John, it just, it just seems remarkable to me that you could have a number of, of law enforcement, armed law enforcement officers, including with long guns on the scene, you, you've yep. got one 18-year-old shooter with, with, you know, he has body armor on, but he has no real tactical training or proficiency. Obviously, he's murdering unarmed small school children, and right. they, they get pushed back in the initial assault, and then that's it for an, for an hour? You know, Buck, let me tell you this. I had spoken to a bunch of buddies from NYPD today, some of the task forces I was on, and I'd gotten to know you very well. You're a very good personal friend, full disclosure. You were CIA. I'm going to go on a limb here. I know me and none of the guys I worked with, and I know you. I know your brothers. I don't think you, your brothers, your buddies from the agency, any of us would have sat outside that school. I would have taken a suspension. I would have taken a termination. Because I'll tell you something, it would have been a hell of a lot easier to look in the mirror as a fired cop than it would have been to go home knowing I had my gun, I had my training, and I let 19 kids and two teachers be slaughtered. It is making me sick to my stomach. That's not hyperbole. That's not drama. I'm sick to my stomach. John, I mean, I, I feel exactly the same way. I appreciate getting a chance to talk to you, somebody who's actually carried the badge and the gun and, uh, and been in these kinds of situations. Thanks for being with us, and we'll talk soon. Always, Buck. Thanks. Right now, let's talk about the silencer shop. I'm a big supporter of the Second Amendment. For many gun owners, using a suppressor is a must helps protect your hearing, improves your accuracy, minimizes recoil. Suppressors are 100% legal in 43 states, so if you want to practice safe, accurate shooting, 
The best way to get your suppressor is through the Silencer Shop. They have a variety of suppressors starting at just $365. My friends at Silencer Shop are the industry leaders for suppressors. They're a Texas-based company that excel, that excel at customer service. Each phone call, email, direct message, or comment is answered promptly. They treat you like family. Their customer reviews are awesome on Trustpilot. Silencer Shop has an average ranking of 4.9 out of 5 stars. That's based on over 25,000 reviews. Go right now, check it out, silencershop.com. They make silencer ownership simple. That's silencershop.com for all your suppressor needs. We'll be right back with more Hold the Line. Elon Musk is firing back at critics today, claiming that their attacks are untrue and motivated by politics. Responding to a tweet about the latest Russiagate news from Congressman Jim Jordan earlier today, Musk said, quote, most people still don't know that a Clinton campaign lawyer using campaign funds created an elaborate hoax about Trump and Russia, makes you wonder what else is fake. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? For more on this, we turn to host of the First Watch podcast, Steve Krakauer. Crack, good to see you, sir. Hey, Buck, how you doing? I'm all right. So first of all, I, I got to say, this, uh, this latest situation here, uh, this latest uh, revelation, I should say, uh, coming out of this Sussman trial, right? The lawyer that was working on behalf of Hillary, you had Robbie Mook, who was Hillary's right-hand man for the campaign, admit that Hillary said, go and spread this Alpha Bank Russia collusion Trump lie. And then they just went and they took this out there and they ran with it. I mean, this was straight from Hillary. Yeah, it, it certainly looks that way. Um, no, the, the, the Sussman trial is unsurprisingly not getting a ton of, let's say, a cell media attention right now. And I, I think it really should. You know, I actually just saw right before I started talking to you, a clip circulating of Robbie Mook talking to CNN's Jake Tapper in 2016 before uh, at the convention and, and essentially saying that, that this was Russian disinformation. No, this is being reported in the press. We're seeing from experts. Well, as we know now, that was spun by the Hillary campaign to the press their own experts, and as we know now from today, spunts directly from Hillary Clinton, as Robbie Mook has said, under oath. I think that a press that cared about introspection and setting the record straight after getting it wrong four or five years ago would be paying attention to this. I just don't think we have that right now. And so we're probably going to get more silence from it from, from the people that spun this exact tale that they were now, that we now see was a, a total propaganda. What do you make of what feels like a a day-by-day red-pilling in slow motion of, of Elon's tweets here. You know, he recently said he used to be a Democrat because they were the, essentially the nice guy party, but it switched and now they're mean, so he's going to uh, support Republicans. Um, you know, he, he's, he's now uh, weighing in after Jim Jordan essentially says the Russia collusion thing was a big Hillary lie, which it was. Elon uh, feels like a force to be reckoned with these days in terms of moving the conversation to the right. It's fascinating. I think you look at Elon Musk as someone, just just look at it in a vacuum. What has Elon Musk done for the country, done for the world? People that care very deeply about climate change, for example, might maybe point to Elon Musk as one of the entrepreneurs who's done the most for the climate because of what he's done with electric cars or what he's done with a boring company to, to do uh, with, with less traffic congestion. But then, of course, he cares about free speech. And now apparently free speech equates to red pilling and equates to the GOP. It's, it's unbelievable to see. And, and I actually, I, it reminds me of where I think of this current iteration of the Elon Musking of the story started, which was last week, he announced that if he was running Twitter, 
which he probably will come October, he would have Donald Trump go back onto the platform. This is like the big question, right? Will you allow Donald Trump, who was permanently banned in January of last year, back onto Twitter? He says he would. And I found most interesting his buddy, Jack Dorsey, who used to run Twitter, agreed with that, that it was an overreach by Twitter to, to take him off. And now this, this has just been this cascading effect of now we're making Elon Musk into some Republican, and then it's like chicken or egg. Now he's saying, okay, well, you want you say I'm a Republican, I'm going to vote Republican next time. Uh, so yeah, no, it, it's fascinating, and, and this is, it's, it's crazy to me that the media that leans left should care about free speech now finds a, a true firm and free speech advocate and someone who's right wing. It just doesn't make any sense. And what do you make of the, it feels in many ways all too predictable, sudden revelation, which is actually just word of mouth hearsay from someone who says they know someone that Elon propositioned six years ago and paid a nuisance settlement to get rid of it. I mean, he said in tweets a few days ago, they're coming after me, guys, just so you know, wait for it. Yeah, well, we know now that he knew that the story was coming. Uh, he was given a day or two to try to respond uh, before it was published. Yeah, Business Insider puts this out, and I will say I think Business Insider's uh, journalistic credibility has taken many shots over the last couple of years. I look at the Dave Portnoy story as one in particular. But I will say it was published by, or the author of it, was Rich McHugh, who's done some great work that I, I think is, is very respectable in the Me Too space and, and work that I've done. He was actually one of the people that, that put uh, uh, Tara Reid out there uh, one of Joe Biden's accusers of, of sexual misconduct. So I, I, I think, though, what's interesting about it is kind of what you point out, sources on it. I mean, you could not get a more thinly sourced story than no firsthand account. The only secondhand account is a friend of the accuser. They couldn't even get to the accuser to, to sort of judge about the credibility of this person. No, the, it was a it was a rushed effort to be to put it very generously a rushed effort to put this story out there. Elon, as you say, is already responding on Twitter. I don't think the story is over, and I also don't think it hit very hard. I, I I don't think it landed because I think even people who want to maybe bury Elon Musk see that this is all just kind of innuendo and not really going to attach very strongly to him. Pushing gears here, the disinformation board, Steve. The former head Nina Jankowicz of the disinformation board is claiming that it was a victim of disinformation. Watch this. I would say that the disinformation governance board was the victim of disinformation. So the difference between dis and misinformation is disinformation is false mis false information spread with malign intent. And clearly there was a malign intent on some actors in the media and in politics who just really stood up to uh, the, the formation of this board because it would be confronting disinformation. <laughs> I mean, what do you think? I, I, I look. I, I would say that, that that Nina was a victim of information. Uh, I, I think that was the that was the real problem here. You know, the, the board gets announced, which even I would say some of the people who may support a disinformation governance board within the Department of Homeland Security, which I would say is red flags all over the place. But even if people would support that, then you get to see this Nina Jankowitz as the head of it, and we start to learn a little bit about her, start to see some of the, her tweets and some of her past comments and see that she is a deeply unserious, just ridiculous person that's leading this thing. And no misinformation, no disinformation, just literal facts, just literal her own words 
put out there is what torpedoed this entire thing. So yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty rich. And it really tells you, I think, a lot about what this disinformation governance board was going to be all about. If she is going to call what happened to her as being a victim of disinformation, when in reality, it was people just sharing and sort of laughing at how ridiculous she has been over the past several years, in addition to pouring cold water on what we now know were kind of misinformation efforts like the Hunter Biden laptop story. Soviet Mary Poppins, as I call her, would claim that you, sir, are endangering national security by being critical of her efforts. Watch this one. Frankly, uh, this childish behavior is endangering our national security now. This, this board was set up to counter real disinformation that makes Americans less safe. Things about uh, false information related to disasters, border security, our elections and other critical infrastructure like pipelines and banks. Um, so those who stand in opposition to the board, which as the secretary said, was just an internal coordinating mechanism, something to, to make sure that we were efficient and using best practices are standing in the way of our national security. Standing in the way, Steve. <laughs> Bug, I hadn't seen that one. I, I, you know, you you've spent some time in the in the infrastructure yeah. of the government. I have not, but this is someone who has, has never been involved in government in her life until like two weeks ago. I mean, like a couple of Scaramucci's ago, and now all of a sudden she's talking like a government bureaucrat, like she's like she's going to like help national security. What what is it? Did it just go to her head in the span of a couple of weeks? I mean, this is unbelievable. Coordination, best practices, just all you have to do if you work in the federal government, uh, Steve, is you say that enough times. And you expect people to believe you know what the hell you're talking about. But it turns out, no, not so much. So adios yeah. to uh, Soviet Mary Poppins. And uh, Steve, good of you to join us, man. Good to see you. Each morning, the President of the United States receives a highly classified briefing on the most important issues facing the country. It's called the President's Daily Brief, or PDB. It's delivered by America's spies and analysts. Well, now you can hear your very own PDB in the form of a podcast hosted by me, Brian Dean Wright, a former CIA operations officer. Each morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, I'll bring you 15 to 20 minutes of the most important issues facing the country giving you the critical intelligence and analysis you need to start your morning. Born on America's darkest day of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes ever since. When a first responder or military service member doesn't come home and young children are left behind, Tunnel to Towers pays the mortgage on the family home to lift the financial burden. For severely injured veterans and first responders, Tunnel to Towers builds mortgage-free smart homes, enabling severely injured heroes to move around their homes more independently. Through the Foundation's Homeless Veteran Program, Tunnel to Towers is providing housing and services to homeless veterans. More than 3,300 were helped last year alone. Because all veterans who honorably served, whether in peacetime or war, deserve our nation's gratitude. People who put their lives on the line for our country and our communities need your help now more than ever. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good and never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices of this country's heroes. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. 
the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. 